You're listening to Running Inside Out Special Events. This is a conversation about trails and running ultra distances recorded at MedVed. Congratulations on your win. I know the course. It's not easy. It's not. It's not, it's not easy. easy. I'd like to welcome everybody. Um, this is a favorite night, absolutely. Um, one of the great things about it is I know most of the people in this room, but those who don't know me, I am Mort Nace. I'm the general manager of the shop, and one of my favorite things to do is fill this place. And when I'm asked what, what is the intent of this evening, it's a lot less about how to but more about bringing as much of this community together as I could to share stories, inspire you maybe to test your limits, go a little further than you thought you could, um, consider new events. Pretty excited about this group of people sitting to my right. Um, we had a great panel last year. This group is no greater, but it's another special group of people. And I really look forward to the next two hours. Um, <laughs> We'll have some fun, um, and I hope you guys will share your stories as much as they do. Uh, before I introduce this group, I would like to thank a few people who are here tonight. Um, those that also don't know me, I am one part of Goose Adventure Racing. We direct a few trail races. One of my co-directors is here, Rob Feisner. He's also... He does the heavy lifting for the Ontario Summit Trail Races. We've got some propaganda for that, if anybody's interested in that here tonight. Um, Chris O'Brien is here from the Running Inside Out podcast. Um, Chris will also help me moderate this conversation, and thank you, Chris, for that. And hopefully we get some good recordings to listen to this from days from here on. Trails Rock is here. We've got Eric, Sheila, and Mike from the group. Uh, and, 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 and yeah, I don't know the whole thing. Um, everybody knows Trails Rock does a lot for this community as well, um, from slow and steady up to some really gnarly trail races in the area. Ian Golden made the trip. Red Newt Racing from Mythica. Woo! Ian has a great schedule of events all over the region. Uh, so consider, I think he brought paperwork as well, somebody to take home if you like to check out his events. <coughs> Ascend Collective is here, taking some photographs. i got Mike Lesher, Ron Herkins are both here. Thank you, guys. A fun way of recording all that uh, takes place tonight. Gil is here with his... Gil has three events, if I have that right, including the new 12-hour out at the Equine Center in Menden. Thank you, Gil, for coming out tonight. Victoria, the Democrat Chronicle, is here. Careful what you say. <laughs> and I have uh, Michelle and Doreen Fanner here. Uh, damn good. And the Crooked Creek Trail Race. Uh, so a bunch of race directors and some other special guests. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. And then these folks. I'm going to start all the way to the left. And I want to just share a quote to sort of set the tone for tonight because I really like these words about why we're here at all. Uh, I am constantly inspired by the camaraderie, support, and kindness of the people of this incredible sport. There is usually no other place I'd rather be than sharing amazing moments with friends and running in wild places. That is a quote from Doreen Fanton, and that pretty much says, I think, why we're all here. Uh, great community people, better than any community in any other sport that I know, um, and I love um, 
that inspires me in itself. So thank you, Doreen, for coming out tonight. We've got Scotty Jacobs, who described himself once upon a time as a skinny fat guy. Um, but love Scotty's spirit as well. Got to know Scotty over the last couple of years. Doing, he raced our six hour, and we've crossed paths. Either Scotty's been crewing or racing between Rochester and Ithaca. And um, Scotty's another one of those guys that he's chasing summits and FKTs and things like that. And um, really exudes that happy vibe that I talk about with this group, of whole, this whole group of people. They are exceptional at just giving off this happy vibe of what we all love about the sport. Nobody in this group is ever seen not smiling when we're out in, um, in the woods. Natalie Thompson, coworker of mine here. Um, another, she does it all. She schemos, she climbs, and she is a mountain goat. She's a strong trail racer. Um, she's spent a lot of time in the Northwest after growing up in this area. We're glad that she's back in our area. She does work for us part-time. She's a nutrition consultant as well. Happybellylife.com. Oh. Um, Natalie, thank you for coming out tonight. Check it out, guys. Check it out. What? You got And there's a no. national 100-mile trail champion among us, master champion. Ooh. Olga Huber recently won the 100-mile uh, master's race at the Bandera. Is that correct? Uh, Rocky, Rocky. Rocky Raccoon, excuse me. Rocky, it's right in front of me. Um, <laughs> She has extensive experience racing the 100-mile race. She's done it one time. But <laughs> <laughs> oh so well. Oh so well. debut, I think. Um, but she, um, she spends a lot of time uh, doing row gains, navigation races, if you don't know those, as well. And Olga, thank you for coming out tonight. Daniel Snyder. Who probably has the most download, downloaded podcasts in Running Inside history, right? Yeah, thanks to the expert interviewer. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Danielle has raced in four countries, run in ten. She climbs, she crews, she races, she also, she does it all. And maybe the most enthusiastic on the table, but that would be a good competition regardless. Thank you for coming out, Danielle. A big welcome back to an old friend, co-worker, John Prohira. Really excited that you said yes tonight, John. Um, I won't lead up. I, I wasn't planning on listing off a lot of resumes, but I have to list off this one: 89 ultras, 3100 mile races. He has kissed the rock, and I think most of you know what that means in this community. <laughs> Finishing the Hard Rock 100, and I was lucky enough to cross paths with him back in 07. We shared some time in Colorado before, as John was training, preparing for that. He's raced in 13 states. He's raced in Ontario, Canada. Worked for us for a lot of years. John, thank you for coming out today. And an exceptional storyteller. And if you want to talk happy vibe, uh, my friend here to the right, Kendra Chamberlain. Um, tell me if you haven't seen her smiling when she's on the trails. Um, really excited you agreed to, to join us as well, Kendra. She's often seen running in Ellison. She's run my races. She's did the, the first Twisted Branch 100K. She builds furniture and she has chickens. And before we get started, I'll share one last code, quote of Kendra's that I love as well. What I love is being outside, moving my body and releasing my mind to the place of flow. That is what brings me life. I need sun, dirt, trees, and fresh water sources. I need to quite literally run away and be with the earth for a few hours every now and again. That is awesome. And with that, I will 
start the conversation with asking each one of you just to share a little bit of your journey of what brought you here. Where did that love of trails begin? And we'll see where it goes from there. But I won't pick names if anyone wants to lead off with that. But just a little snapshot of what the journey of what brought you here. <laughs> Danielle, you're up. Oh, great. I love going first. Um, can you repeat the question? Oh my God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so as a kid, I always liked playing in the dirt. And then when I was 13, I started to run roads. And it became, um, it started, I loved it, but it started to be more like work. And someone introduced me to the trails. I don't remember how. But like the moment I put my foot in the dirt, I knew it was for me. And I haven't looked back since. It's not like an exciting story or anything, but it's it's cliche, and I feel like all the trail runners say it, but as soon as I like hit the trail, everything else goes away, and I just feel alive and at home in the woods. And I, if I could, I'd probably stay out there all the time. <laughs> and I come back muddy, and I remember I was talking to someone who's not a mud lover as much as I am, and I... He was like, you get muddy when you run in the trails? I'm like, yeah, that's the whole point. And it's kind of my mantra, so that's how I fell in love with trail running. It is definitely the point. Um, I'll follow up with a little shout-out to Ithaca, because I went to college in Ithaca. And if, Has anyone been to Ithaca, run in Ithaca, run trails in Ithaca? Mm -hmm. has, anyone, yes. has anyone run Monkey Run in Ithaca? Okay, well, go run Monkey Run. <laughs> so, like Danielle, actually, Danielle was the reason I started running longer roads because Danielle's a grade above me. We both went to Pittsburgh. And uh, she had graduated high school and was training for her first marathon. And we would meet at, like, 4.30 in the morning and run together. And then I'd go home and go back to bed in the middle of the summer because it was so hot. So we'd have to get up early to run. So we, we had been running roads. And then when I was at college in Ithaca... Um, it was, I actually played ultimate frisbee in college, and it was my running. It was my ultimate frisbee coach, who first took me out to monkey run because he had run cross country at at this at Cornell where I was at school. And so, for those of you don't, who don't know, monkey run takes you through. Uh, I guess I don't know, but you're kind of following. <laughs> <laughs> you're following this gorgeous creek, and you're maybe like. <clears throat> 400 feet above it in parts, yeah. in, at parts yeah. and you could just it's just this sheer drop off like rock side or like yeah rock slide down to the water and you just get to run along this ridge and you just have this super cool little creek below you and it's a big <laughs> wide creek at those parts but then finally at one point the trail brings you down and there's this old uh, railroad bridge where there used to be I guess like a railroad that would cross over the water but it's no longer a functioning railroad but the metal skeleton still exists there and that's the trail you have to go scale up one side of this shimmy across like a one foot wide metal beam and then shimmy down the other side and continue on your merry way and so when the, his name was doug when doug first took me there i was just floored that running could be that much of an adventure and uh, it just lit me up and so ever since then i'll run roads from now and from time to time because you have to but uh, there's just nothing like being out on a good trail, so that's where it started for me, was it the good? Do I get to go now? I'll go now. <laughs> we'll go on a row, I guess. Whatever. Um, oh, it's good. That's okay. I know. I uh, grew up on the base of Mount Mansfield in Underhill Center, Vermont, mm -hmm. and uh, 
I didn't originally grow up running in the woods. I ran on the roads with my father because that's what he did. We ran dirt roads and stuff. And uh, I guess uh, right before high school, I met this group of guys who were into cross country and whatnot. And we went for a hike one day and we hiked to the summit of Mount Mansfield and we didn't really hike. We pretty much ran the whole way up and I was pretty whipped. And then uh, we got to the top and they're like, all right, now now it's gonna get fun. I was like, okay. And we, we ran all the way down. That was the first time I really fell in love with trail running and, uh, and going fast. It was really cool. Um, the dynamic terrain, the ground you can cover and what you can see out in the wilderness, that's really what drew me to it and how I got there, I guess. Uh, <clears throat> Olga might appreciate how I finally got got into the woods. I went in, um, I did a lot of road running um, before I did some trail running and I actually got my start doing road games as well. Mm -hmm. I did 24-hour races, quite a handful of them, and that's how I decided that I enjoyed being out in the woods more than I did on the road. And for me, time um, sort of just is a non-factor when you're out uh, in the woods enjoying um, the trails. It's more comfortable to me. It's quieter, and that's why I run to clear my mind and find the joy. So that's how I got started. Um, I could go next. Um, I want to talk about how I got into loving the woods, I guess. It's not so much of running. Um, as you can probably figure by now, English is not my first language. <coughs> Russian is. I grew up in Russia, and um, my biggest influence on my upbringing was definitely my grandmother. Um, she had heart. Um, during the Stalin times, both her mother and father were um, in prison and killed. And as a daughter of enemy of the state, she couldn't really attend college or really that kind of good job. So she turned to the woods to make a living. During the summer, she'll pick up berries and she'll sell them in the market. She'll pick up flowers and sell them in the markets. Then later in the fall, she'll pick up nuts and mushrooms and marinate them and sell them in the market. So for her, being in the woods was just was her life, was her you know, um, source of income. And as me and my sister growing up, it became a part of us because grandmother knew every single trail, every single woods around our little town in Moscow suburbs. And she will take us, we'll pick up berries, we'll do this and we'll do that. And I remember there was no snowshoes yet back then, so the snow is deep near Moscow, so we didn't do the snowshoeing. So in the end of every year, in the end of the fall, we'll go and say goodbye to the woods for the next year because it was such a magical place. We'll go, with each of us, me and my sister and my grandma, had a special tree. We'll stop at each, each of our special trees and we'll bring some picnic lunch, maybe eat something, and we'll tell the stories and then we'll bring some what we call nature material back home, all kinds of cones and leaves and sticks and all kinds of moss, and we'll make little like uh, pictures and we add a little Play-Doh and it becomes a boar, a wild boar. We, we make uh, little bears and all kinds of like, all kinds of uh, pictures. We didn't have Legos growing up. We, we didn't have much stories that you guys had growing up. So we needed to improvise. So, um, and at this point, just being brought up that way with my grandmother, the woods became that magical place when you go and really get lost and um, 
there is no government there, sort of, there is no rules, you just go, and I'm sure some of the things we did is illegal, I'm sure some of the flowers we picked were was illegal, some of the berries we picked, because they in that red book of, you know, protected things in Russia we did, it was illegal, but again, for us it was sort of, for her, it was a way to survive and something to share with us later on as a joy in life. Well, um, I started my journey. I was running away from a two-pack-a-day cigarette at the age of 35 and um, replaced that addiction with running. I fell in with a group of runners called the Oven Door Runners who taught me how to run long distance on road, to run marathons. And um, somewhere along the line, I fell under the influence of a fellow by the name of Charlie Sabatine, who was, uh, <laughs> perhaps a lot of you know Charlie, but uh, he was um, really one of the very first in my opinion, ultra runners, you know. And um, he took me under his wing and uh, we started traveling together. And um, we did, uh, I did my first 50 mile on the Rocky Raccoon course down in Huntsville. And uh, I just fell in love with the trail, the whole aspect of starting an endeavor and running through the day and just watching the world mm -hmm change about me as I was on this journey. And um, never a very fast runner, at best mid to back of the pack runner, but um, it became just um, a really love affair with the distance, with the challenge, just the, um, the whole aspect of doing something different at first. And I'll have to admit that it was this whole aspect of play, placing this stamp of uniqueness on myself, that there was an appeal to me, you know, and um, as I look back on it, I see how silly that was, but, uh, you know, I, I love to tell stories. I love to write stories. I wrote a lot of stories about my running endeavor, and I love folk tales and legends, and um, I'll just relate this one little story about how I was blindsided by what I first thought was the reason I came into running. You know, the story goes that if you wanted to catch a unicorn back in the day, the way to catch a unicorn was to take a maiden and to put her in a field. And this innocent being would attract a unicorn. Um, and the unicorn would come and lay its head upon her lap, and that's how you caught a unicorn. You know, and I always thought that, geez, what about that first maiden? I'm sure she wasn't intending to catch a unicorn. She was just sitting out there for a picnic. And unbeknownst and unbidden, here comes this unicorn, this magical, mythical creature out of nowhere, lays his head upon her lap in magic. And, you know, to me, that just says... I did not want to be unique. I did not want to be that unicorn, but the gift of the running to me was as magical as that beast. It came out of nowhere. I really can't put my finger on when I exactly fell head over heels with it, but um, it happened. You know, some of my favorite memories are just um, very mundane and simple things. Coming out of the woods at a at a hundred mile race up in Ontario just before dark and putting the headlamp on and and putting a jacket on and having my children there with my my wife with my wife eating m&ms you know and giving dad a kiss goodbye and dad goes off into the woods and this is the most normal thing in the world for my children <laughs> and, and to me i think that's a gift you know my children grew up watching adults play 
and not take themselves so seriously. So, um, yeah, uh, I think it's very important, the stuff we do on trail. But, you know, it's, um, it's pretty simple, and it's a gift. That's me. Well, this has been pretty magical already. <laughs> I could just listen. Um, but how did I get started? Uh, I, well, I ran all through high school, middle school and high school. Got a stress fracture going into college, so I didn't, I didn't run much, and I kind of just thought I was done, that I would never run again. Um, and then I, I always had this need to like get out and see more and explore. And I grew up in a really small town. I went to Brockport State, which is a small school. So when I found out I could graduate from college early, I was like, okay, I'm going to graduate from college early and I'm going to travel. So I traveled for uh, a couple years and then I realized I needed to pay off my student loans. So I wasn't ready to get a job yet though. So I did an AmeriCorps program so I could volunteer, right? Have no expenses, get a little educational stipend at the end. So I thought that was a great idea. And I still uh, wasn't really running a lot at that time. I'd kind of gotten to the point where I could run like a half an hour, an hour and with no pain, but not completely pain free. But um, in that program, I was living with eight people. We had one government vehicle, one government laptop. And sometimes we were living in a garage or one time we had a really nice house. Sometimes we would just kind of create tent cities wherever we were. But it was the same eight people the entire time. And I needed to get away. So that honestly, that's how I really started running was because we would travel. We would move somewhere different every six to eight weeks. And I wanted to see where I was. So, and I wanted to get away and be alone. So I would just start going out and running and just time kind of flew by. I never really wore a watch. It didn't really matter. I would go after we were done working or on weekends. Um, and then at that time, I also, you know, I had a lot of thoughts about what, what is the meaning of life? Where is my life supposed to be going? So I just had a lot of stuff that I thought I needed to be thinking about. And um, it was kind of a way for me to process it. But I also got drawn into this group every so often we would go back to base, base camp where the whole 200 core members would get together. And there was this crew of like the hot shots, the guys who were really athletic and, and like running all stars and they wanted me to run with them. So I said, okay. So I think I ran with them twice. I agreed to run with them twice. I did my longest run ever. It was 13 miles and they said, let's, let's run a half marathon. This, there's this half marathon in the woods in Delaware. Um, we'll just show up Saturday morning and we'll run it. I said, that's great. That sounds great. I, you know, I did 13 miles yesterday with you guys. I know I can do it. I've done it once. So we get there in the starting line and it was literally 50 people just standing in the woods. I had no idea where I was at the time. And this guy, this guy is there. We got there like five minutes before the start of the race because we kind of got lost. So we roll out. We're sitting there in the woods. The guy's like, hey, everybody, good morning. He's like, my name's Stumpy. It's my birthday. And we're all like, happy birthday, Stumpy. He says, uh, for my birthday every year, I like to have people run a marathon. And I was like, oh, that's funny, like a marathon, you know, you might not have a marathon. And everyone's like, yeah, a marathon. And I'm looking at these guys who brought me there, and I was like, you said it was a half marathon. They're like, we thought it was a half marathon. So we all just kind of look at each other. We're like, okay, I guess we're about to run a marathon. I'd never run more than 13 miles. This whole thing was on trails. And it was, a couple of things really stand out to me. One is that... First of all, it's gorgeous. I'd never run on trails that much. And I like some of these moments, you talk about these moments that aren't really even that pivotal, but like those moments where you're running and there's mist in a certain spot or the sun catches a certain way. It was the first time I really, really saw that, I think, and experienced that and felt the air, felt, you know, noticed the smells changing or the temperature changing at a certain elevation or a certain spot. Um, and then I got to a point where I think it took me like four hours and 45 minutes to run this thing. And about three hours in, 
I looked at my watch and I couldn't believe, I just could not believe that my body was still going. And I had this moment of total appreciation and love for my body that I had never had before, ever. And as like a 22 year old girl, that's kind of a, a big deal to be like, I love, I love my body right now. I cannot believe that it's letting me do this. And that when I just tell it to relax, that's all I have to do is just tell it to relax and it'll, it'll just keep going. It was like, <laughs> really, it was incredible to me. So that's, that's what got me hooked was like everything I experienced in that one race that I didn't even know was going to be a marathon. I wanted to feel that more. I wanted to experience that more. I wanted time to stand still more the way that it did um, during that race. So, I mean, it spiraled from there, but that's where I started. Spiraled. <laughs> so one thing that I, I can't help but hearing across the board is spontaneity and unexpectedness. I didn't ask for it, I didn't mean for it to happen, but it happened and I went with it. Tell me one of those times when, um, during, when spontaneity happened to you and you were like, oh crap, and then you went with it. I think I just told Does it have so. to be spontaneity or just the freak accident? Yeah, whatever, freak whatever accident. happens, yeah. I accidentally ended up in the woods. Um, <laughs> You know, that would be a difficult question for me because I'm very goal-oriented and I plan a lot. So I'm not sure I would have to think about it. Give me one second here. Um, I mean, there are many moments within a race or within um, a long run where I, I think it, where I'm always impressed by how much fun I'm having. <coughs> Sometimes you can be out there and just feel really miserable, and then if you just keep going for a little while, for some reason your mind takes you somewhere else, and then you just become really happy. And that's always surprising to me. Yeah. But I don't know that I've ever accidentally ended up at a race or accidentally ended up in the woods. <laughs> I'm a planner. <laughs> but good question, thanks. Well, we got lots of them. Great, okay. That's why I'm here. Yeah, mine is, I have a, about spontaneity and freak accents, not necessarily how we ended up in the woods, but I was recently, when I was training for my big race recently, I had a, 28 miles was my longest trailer. And I thought, I'm going to test my nutrition, I'm going to test my gear and everything else. And I had it all prepared. I figured, okay, Crescent Trail looks like it's about what I need to do for the race. I'll park my car here and I'll run back to the car every hour or so. And I was so prepared. I was so proud of myself. Everything was on plan. I'm goal every <laughs> You know, I need to have my plans. I need to have my ducks in order. So I come the first time to... Uh, to replenish my nutrition, so I open the trunk of my car, get two gels, replenish my tailwind. I close the trunk of my car, close the trunk of my car, I'm thinking, I'm also good, and I realize I locked the car. I knew this car keys in the trunk, <laughs> and I have 20 mile, mile, two miles to go. Yes, of course, I'm not in the middle of the woods, I'm on Crescent Trail, so theoretically I could even run home for 10 miles. But then I thought, okay, I could not really think what to do right now. I'm just going to run some more trails. I have some tailwind. I have gels. I have an hour of fluid, you know, fuel. I'm going to run for an hour and see, figure what I'm doing. I figured, okay. So here I am back on the Crescent Trail. I'm thinking, okay, what are my choices? I know there's a, the key at home, at the home. So I could run 10 miles, but then it's, it's a roads and it's not what, what the plan is about. The plan was to test nutrition. On the other hand, it's sometimes nice to test your limits, right? And see how you deal with stress. 
So that will be a perfect opportunity to me. See how I will deal with stress. <laughs> okay, but you know, in reality, could I call my husband? And I realize my husband is right now driving our daughter to the Bristol Nordic Center, which is an hour away. So there is no way he's going to get back within a three-hour time period unless, you know, something happens. Okay, so what are my choices? Okay, there is a... Uh, um, there is ice arena right now near a park the car. I'm sure they have a bathroom and I'm sure they have a water. So all I need to do is just come every hour get water. And that's what I ended up doing. It was not completely what I was planned to, but it was nice just to see what could I do, how could I adjust my plan when things go south. And I finished my, you know, the rest of my 12 miles, 21 miles. You know, I didn't have gels out of those two, which I kind of stretched. And I figured, okay, I'll take one every, you know, that's so often. I get water and still, you know, finish whatever I need to do. And I think that was maybe even more beneficial as, as a training run for me than I initially planned. Yeah. I think I'm like the exact opposite of you two, of planners. <laughs> I'm like someone will throw out an idea the night before and I'll be like, that sounds like the best idea I've ever heard. Give me five minutes. Let's go. Which sometimes gets me in trouble. Um, I'm always like educated enough to bring food and water but sometimes I'm over enthusiastic I need to like stop and plan a little bit more but like some of my best times have just been like I don't know like a call from Natalie being like hey you want to go up here let's go and then we go and then sometimes it's great and it's really smart and it works out and other times you like stop in the middle of the venture and you're like this is probably not my best idea um, I'm happy that I brought an emergency blanket <laughs> it's, this past winter I was up in the Adirondacks and we had done like three or three peaks or something and there was a fourth peak and it was dark and we were like oh we can get up there within amount of time not thinking that it's probably going to be hailing by the time we get up to the top and icy and there were like pivotal moments I remember thinking I could just turn around at this point and it'd be a really smart idea but once you start I guess I am a little goal oriented, and I was like, <laughs> I need to finish. Like, you're not how many how many times are you in the Adirondacks in the middle of winter, and it's you like stop, and it's gorgeous, and the snow is falling, and it's so beautiful, but it's really icy, and there's a lot of cliffs, and then, you know, you do it as safely as possible, and I don't want to say I'm completely stupid about it. I mean, we bring packs, and we tell people where we're going, and we're smart. But it's not as prepared when I think about it. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm not a planner. So I really respect planners because it's a lot of work to plan every detail. I think in training and racing, I think a lot of us would agree that we plan, I think. But maybe not necessarily in all of aspects of our life. You know, like conversation or, or whatnot can be spontaneous. But. For me, I found that um, quite often the spontaneity comes with just... Um, having to let go and say, you know, go with it, lead me. Um, at Hard Rock, um, coming up on Grant Swamp Pass at 84 miles, it's, um, it's a climb, of course. Everything at Hard Rock is a climb, but it's scree. And it's, uh, you climb, you know, you go up two or three steps, you slide down one. You go up two or three steps, you slide down one. And uh, the year that I did it, I went out there with my friend Teresa Sukunicki. I don't know how many of you know Teresa, great lady, and... Um, we went out long enough to where we could get acclimated to the elevation. Um, three weeks sleeping in a tent at 10,000 feet, just so you could learn to breathe the skinny air up there. And we walked along with the race directors as he set the course. 
um, which gave us training and familiarity with the course. So I knew what Grant Swamp Pass was all about. I knew about this scree and such. But come race day, come race day at 84 miles, and gosh, it's like getting dark for the second night. And um, we come to the bottom of the, of the pass, and uh, we look up there, and there was probably six to eight men at this point, all jammed up, experienced ultra runners. Many of them had been to Hard Rock a long time, have done it before. And we just looked at this impossible task, like, what do we do now? You know, and it's like, collectively, we had no idea. You know, we had no idea. And Teresa looked at us like, you know, she was there pacing me through my last 16 miles, and she just began to work her way up slowly you know, traversing back and forth. And we said, ah, that's the way you do it. <laughs> and, and like a Pied Piper, she went up the scree, and there were the, the six to eight men that followed, you know, us experienced hardcore runners, uh, followed this novice up to the top of the mountain, and, you know, we got over it. And uh, we hadn't planned on it, but, you know, it's one of the sweetest memories I've got. You know, so... so um one of one of John's articles that he wrote, um, one of my favorite articles that he wrote, is called "Lapped by the Sun," and um, he wrote an article about running a hundred miler, where he starts in the night, runs through the day, comes back into the night, and you know the sun has beaten him to the end of the race. Um, now you're a little bit faster than that in the hundred milers that that you ran recently, right? Uh, Maybe a little bit. <laughs> so what's it like for you to, to think that you're about to run 100 miles as fast as you possibly can? Uh, well, kind of crazy for one thing, but uh, uh, I don't know. Um, I guess that I try not to think about that, I guess. Uh, I because if you go out too fast, you're gonna blow up, right? So I guess, you know, I I only have two hundred mile finishes. I've attempted the hundred mile distance, I think, four or five times. Um, but yeah, go, uh, the the key is to not think like that and to just try to stay contained. Um, it's really easy to lose yourself in everything that we love. You know, you get on this one really sweet stretch trail and and you look at your watch and you're like, holy crap, I'm running like 7.30 pace and it's only mile 30. Like, that's not good. Like, slow down, you know. Uh, so I guess I, I just try to stay contained within myself until late in the game and then maybe you can make some magic happen towards the end. Do you find that competing at that level conflicts with all the things that we're talking about with love with the trails and nature and being alone? I think there's ways to make the two coalesce. I think it, it's a pretty tough balancing act. Um, I don't like to take it too seriously, but I'm pretty competitive, I guess. Um, but it, if it's not fun, why do it? That's the whole thing with me. So even if I'm having a really crappy race, I'm still going to have fun. That's like the underlying theme for everything is I'm doing what I love. So it, it doesn't suck all that bad, whether you're being outrun by somebody or you're, 
you bonked and messed up your nutrition or messed it up for yourself, it's your fault, whatever, but you're still out in nature, you're doing what you love, there's great people around you everywhere yeah. most of the time. I think we would agree, you know, <laughs> yeah. you run into yes. somebody like if you bonk, like you end up running with somebody maybe you don't normally run with or see and and you get that aspect and meet a cool person that you otherwise would never have met. Or you might end up being somebody else's inspiration because mm -hmm. they might be yeah. having a really, really bad day and just by running with them, they just let it out and talk and you might need to listen how somebody else is peeing brown, which is not on your favorite <laughs> subjects to discuss. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, you know, you create that bond and then for the next 40 miles when you see each other in the aid station, it's like you're brother and sister. <laughs> I remember my first 50K, I met, I was like, can't finish. I was really down on myself. It was so hard and really hot. And it was the first time I was doing anything like that. And there was this guy who said something like, I kicked Cantor's ass on the back of his shirt. And I, he was like sitting. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to sit and talk with you for a few minutes. And he's like, yeah, I've got some type of cancer. I don't remember what it was. Sorry, I'm not a great storyteller. I think it was like colon <laughs> cancer. But he had just gone for chemo two days ago. And he was running this 50K. And he was like, I'm just taking a little break, but I'm going to finish. And then he was like, I'm going to finish this. And I was like, you are the inspiration I need. If you can finish this, I'm going to do it too. And so, you know, I don't think always in the past I would have stopped during a race and talked to someone, but something about that situation made me stop and, like, want to meet this man. And he was my inspiration. And so, yeah, you never knew who you're going to meet out there. There are people that I've, I've, when I was doing this actively, that I would see maybe once or twice a year, maybe for... 10 years or so, but these are people that I would feel closer to than someone perhaps that I'd see every single day. You know, I don't know if it's that shared experience. There's also been instances where um, I've run through the night with someone without saying a single word to them the entire night, not knowing who they are, where they were from, what their story was. The only thing we said to one of each other was, you go, I go. And that was enough, you know. And again, that was inspiration. It didn't have to be someone that I could put a name on, but I'll never forget them. And sometimes you get up really great storytellers to run with. <laughs> when I was running a hundred mile recently, I was a um, guy who told me, oh, you know that the Gordon Isley is running today? Ah. And I had no idea who Gordon Isley was. Zero whatsoever. So he tells me, yeah, there's this guy who kind of established the whole Western state, 100 miler, but then he kind of felt bad that people don't get in, so he decided that he really needs to qualify for the race. Oh. And this is his last chance to qualify for the next year's race, and he's running. And I thought, oh, that's kind of really interesting. And then I saw Gordon nicely a few times on the course. I, I looked him, and it's a two-way course in, something, in, in some places. So I, I've seen him many times, and there is, and I'm thinking, why on earth is he running in a helmet? It's a trail race. I understand there may be some, you know, some lucky charms, right? For example, there was one girl who was running with a bear of this size attached to her backpack. I guess whatever, you know, makes you happy and, you know, <laughs> causes a positive emotions is good. So I thought, oh, maybe it's his lucky helmet. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, we, fin we finished the race, I know he finished, and you know, he was very happy he qualified, and later on, uh, I find the somebody posts the article the next day about, 
What happens? He tried to qualify a few times before. He felt once. He was very close. He felt hit uh, the tree with his head and get he didn't really get unconscious but he get disoriented to the point when they asked him which race he was on he wasn't remembering yeah. and that was this uh, this this rocky raccoon being his last chance to finish he wanted to make sure if he hits the head again <laughs> on the tree he will know he will protect himself so the whole reason was he wanted to make sure he qualified 100 percent. so he ran the whole thing with a helmet just to make sure it doesn't happen and he qualified so <laughs> Another legend of Western states is the cowman Amuha. I don't know if anyone's heard of him, but he was a fellow who would run with a helmet with big cow horns on it. And that was just his thing. And everyone knew cowman. Anybody else have questions? I don't have to be the only one that. What would you give advice to somebody who's making the transition from roads to yeah. trails? Do uh, it. Just yeah. <laughs> I would ask, what is your hesitation? Um, not, not really a hesitation. It's okay. just I've been mostly a road runner. And I, the only trails have been kind of the canal path or yeah. like cinder or anything. Okay. Yeah. The only reason I ask is that sometimes we have done a woman's workshop in the past where we try to introduce, <clears throat> put down through Medbed, where we try to introduce women who come from the road into the trail. And they're often worried about falling or hurting themselves or twisting their ankle and whatnot. Um, and so that would, you know, if I was, that's the reasoning behind the question. But the transition is really just has to be sort of like a feeling sort of spiritual, I guess, or whatever you, whatever you take that as. If you're happy out there, then you should just keep doing it. Like that even. If you're not, then just stay on the road. <laughs> I mean, I won't understand you. I'll scratch my head. But, <laughs> but you can. Yeah, I mean, I guess that, so I think it's more of a feeling than anything. So you just have to try it. Yeah. And, and, and keep your expectations low. Yeah, turn your garment off for the first few runs. Just, 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 just yeah. Yeah. wear your garment. Yeah, that's, <laughs> a, that's great. Leave your technology yeah. behind if you run with a watch or headphones on the road. Leave it. Yeah. Just leave it and <laughs> go absorb it all. I think that's a really key point. I would say two things, like get out with Trails Rock or get yeah. out with people who know trails. Mm -hmm. Because I think the most exciting, I mean, depending on who you are, I guess, it's really exciting to discover a trail for yourself. But if you just want to get familiar with the trails in the area, it can be so awesome to go with people who know the trails. You can just take you to all the cool spots, all the neat little places. So I would say get out with Trails Rock because they do group runs. I mean, Medved does a group run Thursdays. Maybe you've been to those. Um, and then from like a training perspective, uh, work on your balance and work on your core strength because you will trip and you yes. will fall and you yes. will roll ankles and you will break wrists. And it sucks, and you will hit heads. But it's it's all part of. He wasn't running, but um, but it's all part of it. And you do have to kind of you have to kind of love it. I mean, I have really screwed up ankles from rolling my ankle. Like I literally will land on my ankle joint so many times. But you can kind of work through it and get a foam roller, roll out your calves. Do, do planks every day. And I do think, I believe it makes you an overall stronger athlete. Yes. I mean, the core definitely. Yes. Um, 
you know, it's a different pace. Um, I think you're using more of your muscles um, in different ways. Yeah. And um, it's, um, but yeah, give it a try. Why not? Yeah. I think one of the big shifts is shifting from maybe running miles to just saying, I'm going to go out and be out for a half an hour or 45 minutes or an hour because like they're saying, it's you totally have to change your expectations, but that that half an hour that you're out on trails could be just as hard as an hour running on roads. So giving yourself the freedom to just feel what feels right to yourself at the time, maybe running for by effort, or just how how tired you feel that day versus saying I have to run three miles today or I'm not going home. You know? <laughs> I think trails also they always humanize you in a way because there's you might think you're like in really great shape. But there's always a harder trail or like a bigger mountain that you're climbing and then you try as hard as you can. But, you know, sometimes you got to crawl up it because it's really big. So it's different from a lot of people than the roads because it keeps you ground, grounded. Plus, is even, even if you goal-oriented, like some of us are, the idea of climbing the bigger mountain is more exciting than shedding 10 seconds of your 5K pace. So the goals become different goals, and they seems to be more exciting, more human in a sense. Better views. Yeah. <laughs> you know what else is really cool is that in the trails it's okay to walk hills. Yes. <laughs> it's actually okay to There's walk. There's no shame with anything. Yeah. Anywhere, anytime you want, just start walking. <laughs> so um, we just, you guys just really led really well into the next question, which is, um, tell me one of your favorite trails in the area that you wish you could take us all to go experience right now. I won't have to start with you, Doreen. No, that's you okay, want. I can. I know you're looking right at me. I'm looking over. With the mannequin. Yes. Well, just in the in the area, it's an that's an easy question for me. So I'll I'll go ahead. I won't pick on anybody. But um, so I I moved to I live still in Rochester. I moved to Ithaca and. Um, Personally, my favorite is um, the CT50 course, which is through Taconic and Buttermilk, but that's mostly because I, I love a challenge, and it's the most challenging course that I can find in the area. Um, well, so about a third of the people in the room are signed up to run Cayuga Trails <laughs> this year. So. Yeah, that's great. All right, uh, Scotty. Uh, I really love pretty much every stretch of the Finger Lakes Trail that I've been on. Um, I'd love to take all of you out for the whole 500 and whatever miles that it is sometime. Um, it, it stretches through all our neighborhoods here, you know. Um, it's accessible, it's highly diverse, uh, and I've just fallen in love with it. And a pipe dream of mine is to maybe run the whole thing in one stretch someday. If my wife will let me, we'll see. <laughs> this is going to sound really mundane, maybe, but I'll echo the FLT because I actually, for the first time, just went down to Ontario County Park. Never been there before. But I was there last weekend, and I was on FLT from Ontario County Park, and it, it just kind of floored me because it's, it's not really, like, super views, but there are definitely some kind of vistas a little bit. We didn't go super far. Um, but that was really pretty. But then I'll give a little plug for Mill Road off of East Street, um, that's where I live, that's where I grew up, but uh, I don't know if anyone's familiar with Knickerbocker Farm, I guess a lot of you are, but uh, if you've seen that path that they've put on, it stretches from Knickerbocker Road over to Mill Road, 
And so I live a half mile from the end on Mill Road, but it's just this, they've, it's always been this tiny little path and just this past spring they put in, uh, they made it all gravel, uh, like loose gravel, so it's not, not like for a road bike. But it is just, there's just something so like magical about this little trail because it passes under a horse farm that's adjacent to Knickerbocker farm and then you run under Knickerbocker farm and and I don't know for some reason maybe it's just because it's where I live but it's just like it's so fantastic and if you go like at nighttime and the horses are out you just have these giant beast silhouettes and they're like right next to you but they probably won't cross the fence so you're safe because it's electric they but will just, come and greet you but though. they will run up I've to you I've them before they will, like, it's a great run trail. alongside you in their in their big pasture they'll like run with you so it's just like it's such a cool experience and I I guess I'm really fortunate to to live right there. It's only it's short, it's like a mile long and it's totally flat, but it's pretty magical. It's really cool. So it's just a fun little add-on if you're ever running knickerbockers. I'm talking about whoever lives next to what uh, whoever works to. I I have my office building happened to have to be, you know, you know, uh, part of Crescent Trail of Guernsey and there's a little parking lot and there's a big building right next to a parking lot. That's where I work. Nice. So I could go around that part of Crescent Trail up and down to the cliff at lunch, which I, you know, take any opportunity to do it. I think I've known that trail so well, I could probably run it in the dark without a headlamp. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's short, but it's challenging. If you want to go and you can go up to the t tallest point in Mount, right? It's still tallest point in Mount Monroe County to get a bit, 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 big, good view from oh, Woodcliff. Woodcliff. Yes. Yeah. So it's a it's a short part of the trail, but it's it's awesome. Yeah, love it. yes. absolutely. It's a really hard question for me. I don't really think I have a favorite. Where did you run today? We we want to go somewhere. Just take oh. us somewhere. <laughs> I ran with Greg Michaels today, and he navigated eight miles in Men and Ponds, and it was beautiful. When were you there? This morning? Oh, I was just there. Oh. They totally didn't check in. Sorry. <laughs> but really, anything that has hills, I like. The bigger, the better. The bigger, the better. And puppies. And puppies, yeah. I also really like. That's that's not what we're talking about. Let's move on. What kind of trails do you like, John? One of the local trails that's always been my favorite has been the Crescent Trails. Being an up-and-door runner, um, when we first started venturing on trails, that's where we started. And, uh, you know, it, it's a diverse course. I mean, it's, it's, it's up and down, and it's as long as you want to make it. You know, I've been on the Crescent Trail all the way down into Victor. I don't know what it changes into, but at some point, we were way down in Ganondanon. And, um, you know, the trail just goes on and on. Um, I love getting up at Woodcliffe in the middle of the mm -hmm. summer. We used to go and steal all the water on the golf course, and, you know, <laughs> right after dawn. Uh, of indoor rebels we were but um i mean so many beautiful trail systems uh, menden ponds park is great i mean it's always an adventure you can go any which way and up and down and i'm still yeah. getting lost there without the map yeah. but not for long yeah. Yeah. so we're very lucky very lucky in this area i feel very lucky as well um Probably two and a half years ago, I bought a house, and I had no idea what was around that house until I started running and looking, and apparently, I can run on trails for like three hours right from my house. So it's uh, Ellison Park, Lucia Moraine, Tryon, Bay Park West. Those are all in my backyard, and I guess of all of those, uh, Lucia Moraine, I just pictured 
unicorns, like, scattered. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if it's in the morning or, like, right before dark and it's a little bit misty, and I'm, I become a unicorn, actually. <laughs> well, I've been there yet. Chris, unicorns should probably enter into the title of this podcast. <laughs> How to find I unicorns. I become a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> so that's definitely my favorite park. All those trails are great, though. Make you a horn. Please, with glitter. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. Anyone else? Question? I got more. I mean, I can keep doing this. So, um, one of the things that was just mentioned was to get into the woods to leave your technology behind and go enjoy the woods. How many of you have at least one piece of technology that you must bring with you? Or who runs free? That's the, that's the question, and I'm going to look at the middle of the group this time. Um, I do run with Garmin most of the time, just again, especially considering I'm running at lunch hour, I want to make sure I, I be back on time. <laughs> Don't get lost. <laughs> but as far as the, um, the, anything other than that, no, I definitely run unplugged. Yes. Um, I run with hydration pack. That's not technology. Shit. Yeah, it's gear. It's gear. <laughs> um, you know, I always make sure one person has a garment sometimes. <laughs> I always sometimes make sure. Yeah. Um, you know, as I train more miles, it's I kind of more hoping that I'm hitting certain miles, but I never actually bring a Garmin. So usually, yeah, I make sure a training partner brings a Garmin. I have three. They just don't ever make it out on the trail with me. So <laughs> it ruins it for me. I don't know, I like being unplugged. John, yours is a little bit different because you were running before there were garments. Right. So, <laughs> I was born unplugged, yes. Well, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, you're running Western States. You're on the Western States course, and you're not checking your splits, right? You're, no. not, you're not trying to deal with headphones. And so what are, what are your general feelings on running with gear or technology? To me, it's, it's distraction. I remember I did... Let's see, I, I mean, a few years in, I bought myself uh, a watch that had an altimeter on it, you know, and I was fascinated by it, fascinated by it, but, but I found myself playing with it as I'm like crossing a gully in the middle of the night on a, on a, a log, you know, and that's not the time to see how high up in the air I am, when I, so, you know, so it really, it does, it, just to save myself, I had to get rid of it. Um, yeah, I've been unplugged um, for the longest time. You know, I was, uh, uh, I carried my bottles in a, in a pack, you know. And I will say that when I did break down and, and, and put a, a back, um, something on my back, it was like, wow, what took me so long? So, you know, I'm really not going to get too prejudiced or, or judgmental about, about that kind of equipment. It's just, I just never came up with it. And uh, don't miss what I never had, I guess. Yeah. Um, I have a really nice Timex. It was $7 at Walmart. And wow. sometimes when I lose it, because that does happen, I have to run out at like 11 o'clock at night and get a new one so that I have something. Because same thing, I have to get to work on time. So I do I do uh, use that when I have to. But a couple things. So this past weekend I went out and I didn't. I, I had all the time in the world, so I just didn't wear a watch and that was incredible. I, I went home when I was tired. I didn't bring water. I didn't bring you know anything. And that's, a, that's 
when I look back at um, when I started doing this stuff with those crazy guys who made me run a marathon, we would just head out with nothing. We didn't have, I'm sure someone had a watch, but I don't remember paying attention to it. We knew that the sun was high and we were fine. We didn't bring water. We looked at a map and said, hey, there's a cool looking swamp over here that apparently was burned like 10 years ago. Let's go try and find it. And, and we didn't have stuff to try to get there. We just kind of navigated our way there. I don't, I don't know how that happened. Like, I don't even remember bringing a map. But um, I do want to say, though, in defense of technology, someone suggested, so I, I trained by time when I, was training, when I was training for things. I would train by time, not miles. So it was OK just to have a watch that told me the time of day. And even for Twisted Branch, I ran 100K um, last year. And I knew that I wanted to finish before the sunset. That was my goal, was to finish before the sunset, however long that was. Um, but someone had told me, you know, I never listen to music when I run, but he said, you may want to consider bringing a, like some sort of music, an MP3 player, because sometimes you get six, seven, eight hours into something, and you just need something different. I said, okay, I'll, I, I have my dad keep it. He was my crew, and I picked it up probably like six hours in, and I did end up using that, and it was just enough of something different to kind of re-energize me. So I kind of want to throw that out there as a tip if you, you know, or, and I'm very, I never, kind of like proud of it, like I never listen to music and I, you know, don't clock my miles and all of that, but I admit, you have it recorded, that I listened to music during that race and it really, really helped. I just want, like an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to add to my, my two cents to it. As, as with any piece of gear or equipment you're planning to use for a race, if you decided to go to try something during race, make sure you test and know how to use it. Because I've seen so many people at my last 100-mile race who probably kind of like you decided, you know, here's a playlist. I heard it's a good idea to listen for the last 20 miles. And standing on the side of a road and trying to do whatever is wrong, why does thing not work? And I could understand how it could be helpful, but it could be a point of frustration too if you're not prepared and you don't know how to deal with it. So as everything, you know, make sure you test it or at least have some basic idea idea what's a battery life might be or any other things like this yeah it was fun because it kept me guessing I didn't put the music on it. my fiance <laughs> didn't he put it like this great house music and all this stuff that I'd never heard before so it was it was new it was like suddenly everything was fresh and new at that point <laughs> he did show me how to use it though <laughs> on the off season I do not wear Garmin or I usually track time, mostly just because I have a schedule to keep. Uh, if I am training for a race, I do wear it, but that's because I'm playing. <laughs> when I run races, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty organized when it comes to races. Yeah. Uh, for me, what, what do they say? If it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, I wear Cento for training, also uh, for my own self and also because I have a coach who is watching every move that I make um, so I wear it for that um, and I definitely like to plug in and listen to music and rock out oddly enough that's mostly during training during a race most of the time I'll unplug I'll have my Sunto running but I usually don't look at it it's just kind of there as as something that I'm used to having on my wrist um, and usually during races, yeah, I'm pretty well unplugged unless things go really south. And then I'll listen to music, and it, that's like what my body is used to. It's like, there's my music, all right, and it'll bring me back up again most of the time. But. I'll kind of echo the sentiment. I never used to train with 
a watch. I guess when I ran road road marathons, I'd have I had a Timex. But I recently started coaching with Scott. Well, training with same coach as Scotty. And so yes, everything must be uploaded to Strava and Training Peaks, which is kind of actually I was really really hesitant at first because I've never trained that way. I've never really trained actually. I just kind of run what I feel like running when I feel like running it. Um, usually my long runs would be race day, but <laughs> that aside, this time I'm trying to train a little bit more appropriately, and uh, I was really hesitant to wear a GPS watch because I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know how far I was going. I didn't want to know how fast I was going. It's, it's exciting to know how far I've climbed, but there's not a ton of climbing around here. Um, but now I wear it, and I uh, I actually really like it. It's actually really kind of neat to to know how fast you're going and to be able to associate how I feel with a different pace. Um, on the topic of music though, one time when I ran the Boston Marathon I carried headphones the entire race and I don't recall ever using them. And that's it. I kind of consider it a little sacrilegious, especially if you're on the trail, to be wearing headphones. But it's also a little dangerous if you're running on the roads. <laughs> Maybe take one out. Um, but uh, I think as these guys have said so well so eloquently I think for me and for a lot of us so much of the reason to be on the trails is to be on the trails and unless there's a band playing in the woods I don't necessarily want to hear music aside from the music of the wind and the birds and the trees and there's just so many cool sounds and there's so many cool things to see and you miss that stuff if you've got noise in your ears that's not otherwise really present. So that's my opinion on the music. Teach his own. So we've talked a lot about running, but um, there's other things you can do in the woods, right? Um, there's other things you can do out in nature, right? Poop in the woods. <laughs> you can take a poop in the woods. You take a lot of poops in the woods. You can have a snack in the woods. Um, are there other things um, that you're passionate about outside in the woods? Are there other things that get you out into nature um, beyond just running? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> really? I do run orienteering races, um, yeah. and um, there is an endurance version of orienteering <laughs> races called Rogaine, have nothing to do with a man's hair product. <laughs> We're glad we finally covered that. <laughs> I asked in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, I found them very exciting because it's both mental and physical. <coughs> so it, you're running in the woods, but uh, you need to figure out how much do you think you can accomplish in you know in certain amount of time, and you need to look at the maps. You need to be alert at all times. So it's kind of like ultra running plus ultra thinking. That's still running. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you hike, sometimes you stop, and uh, and I feel like when I'm running, uh, when I'm orienteering, I'm paying way more attention to surroundings just because I have to. So you know, there's three creeks. I need to make sure, yeah, this is one creek with a second, and the third one will be controlled. So I, f I feel like I'm more focused on actually on surroundings when I'm just running. I decided if I lived in Rochester in the winter, I needed to start liking snow activities. Yes. So I've started to like cross-country ski, and this winter I went ice climbing for the first time, and it was amazing, and I recommend anyone who likes being outside in the woods to do it, of course with professionals. Um, but I don't know, I, for me it's not just about running in the woods, it's just about being outside, it makes me feel 
alive. I need to get outside every day or I feel a little stifled. Um, so anything I can do, even if it's just walking my dog in the woods, I'm getting outside. I'd have to agree. I, I've been doing, I've done a lot more hiking in my later years than, uh, than running. And, um, you know, you mentioned Mansfield, you know, I've done an awful lot of hiking in the whites and green mountains, um, New Hampshire and Vermont, um, up in Maine, Baxter State Park, fantastic place. Uh, pick up parts of the Appalachian Trail. It's a big country, you know. Yosemite's a great place to hike in. Um, so, um, you know, I could take it as I as a mature. You know, I can just uh, <laughs> perhaps slow down even more and enjoy. You know, just being out there. But the whole aspect of just being out there. And uh, again, I enjoy the long hike. I enjoy seeing the world change about me as the as I'm walking through it yeah, yeah. yes <laughs> um, one thing I particularly love also is swimming in fresh water and not necessarily like for a workout but sometimes when I'm out running in the woods you're, I'm surrounded I know I'm surrounded and like I feel like I'm absorbing everything that's around me but when I jump in fresh water, I can literally feel it on me. You know, you can't necessarily feel, you can feel the temperature and you, I think you understand what I'm saying. It's like you're completely immersed. I'm actually immersed in this uh, material around me. So uh, I love swimming, fresh water. I don't know what to say. I feel the same way. Like I just, I can't get enough of being outside. And um, that makes, you know, normal life kind of difficult at times because I do have a normal job. My life looks very normal, quote unquote, but it's it's like painful sometimes because of that. Do you guys know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please say yes. Yeah. You're not Yeah. <laughs> I think there was a time where I actually would have said what Doreen said, that no, I only wanted to be running. But when I lived in Washington, I guess I dated two different guys who had no interest in running. Um, and so I kind of had to broaden my horizons. But I grew up skiing, but I mean, living in Washington, I guess, with the Cascade Mountains, I just kind of developed this super deep love for anything mountain-related, so whether that was running up the mountains or hiking the mountains or swimming in the, the fresh um, alpine lakes um, or backcountry skiing. If anyone's, if I mean, it's not as accessible, I guess, in these parts because we don't always have consistent snow, but some of the best winter training for running I've ever done is being on all-terrain skis and literally walking yourself up the mountain and then turning around and skiing down or getting out, you know, in, in the Cascades, you can do really neat uh, kind of tours through the mountains. You don't have to be going uphill, only uphill or downhill. Um, but it was also a great introduction to rock climbing and bouldering. Um, I ice climbed for my first time this winter, too, in the Adirondacks. It was pretty silly. Oh, with Doreen. Oh, my goodness. It was so silly. I remember I got on the ice. Doreen was great the first time. I got on the ice the first time and I cursed the whole world. I said, this is the stupidest thing I could be doing. And I thought of my dear mother who's in the back and I said, my mom's going to hate me because I'm probably going to die. <laughs> I didn't die and I, I went out again another couple weeks later. It's actually really fun. But being in water too is fantastic. It's like being, I like to relate it to being back in the womb because I think that's literally what it feels like. You're just like, yeah, you're just, you're held. Uh, and, and then also, like, 
you know, boat, little boats, kayaks, canoes, anything. Just take me outside. Mm -hmm. You just tried skimo for the first time, right? Yeah. I won my first skimo race this year, guys. I was the only <laughs> woman registered. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was incredible. Has anyone raced ski mountaineering? Okay, so you, you've cross-country skied a bunch of you probably, so that's an awesome sport too, which I like, kind of watched some YouTube videos two winters ago and figured out how to <laughs> skate ski. I'm really bad, but it's really fun. But um, a friend of mine, we went out to do a ski mountaineering race over in western Massachusetts in January or February, and uh, you know, here I am, I think I'm all high and mighty. I, got, I just put down 2000 two bucks two winters ago to get a really nice all-terrain setup, and I'm thinking... You know, I love climbing mountains. I'm going to be really good at this race. And uh, here these guys show up. Their skis are like, they were practically running running on cross-country skis. I mean, obviously, they were a little wider than your classic or your skate ski. Um, their boots were super flexible. Everything, I mean, their setup must have weighed like a couple pounds. Mine probably weighed like 10. So you do three laps. You go up the mountain. At least this race was, but it seems a lot of them are organized as such. You go up and you ski a little bit down, and then you go back into the woods and go back up, and then ski all the way down. And then you do that three times. So I'm going literally as fast as I can, and I got lapped by the first three guys and then like the next seven guys after my first lap and I was just thought, boy, this is rough. But, um, but it was really, really, really fun and I'd like to do it a lot more next year. But it's, it's excellent cross-training for the trails because it's, I mean, it's, you're literally doing what you would be doing, but, you know, in the summertime, but on skis. So Scotty, tell us about your uh, cross-training that is not running. Uh, cross train that's not running. When we actually have winter, I really like snowshoeing and snowshoe racing um, when I can get it done. Um, I bought a fat tire mountain bike this year. Uh, it never saw snow. <laughs> that was unfortunate. Um, but it's a really cool bike and I can ride it without snow anyway, so I do that. Um, other than that, um, hanging out on the lake with the kids jumping in a kayak once in a while, but most of them are uh, pursuits on the legs, biking and snowshoeing and stuff like that, and snowboarding. <laughs> yeah. Anybody, any questions come to anybody? Any you tips guys, on uh, nutrition? Touch on uh, what you do you to two. prepare for races in terms of like uh, nutrition, sleep, <laughs> stuff like that. Who, pre who prepares for a race? She's probably, she's the most prepared person I've ever seen. I'm a certified project manager. I need to have plans for everything. <laughs> so for the latest race, and I think the reason why I think I did well is just because I prepared for everything. I prepared and I, I prepared and tested everything. So, um, you know, obviously you have your training and there's a whole bunch of training plans. The idea is, you know, you, you pick one that works for you. Uh, you test your nutrition a lot. Um, my, my thing of nutrition came out as about, it was a race in Texas and three days before, um, before the flight, um, I just decided to Google if the gels are allowed on carry-on and apparently official word is no. So the sports gels by official TSA standards are not allowed. And of course, so that was, you know, a little 
added a little excitement to my life, seeing how could I ship maybe the gels straight to the hotel. But you know, it all worked out. You test, you you check, you check ahead usually with the race directors and see what they have available. What they, you could use of them, or you could use your own. Um, depending on the race and if you have a crew, um, how you want to plan the things of your crew. Um, I recently uh, bought Chris's Moll's book, Running Your First Ultra. Um, it was on, only $9.99 on Kindle edition, and I highly <laughs> recommend it's probably one of the best $9.99 pieces of gear that I. We, spend on recently. We have a link on the podcast website. She has a great ideas for, for, for everything. But the idea is basically you test everything. Uh, so when you do your first ultra, the only thing new is the distance. Because everything is trust and true. How many, how many checklists do you have going into a race? Uh, I had one checklist for like, okay, what am I putting on my body? You know, as far as everything. I had this check for my my oldest daughter was my crew for my last two ultras so i had the things for her so when i come in and if i'm not very coherent what you know what she's supposed to do with me i had a tentative timing plan for my best case scenario and my worst case scenario yes in addition to normal tra you know traveling packing lists and stuff like this yes <laughs> but again, things uh, always also prepared that things will change in, in the moment's notice and you just need to adjust. And that's the thing about ultras, that things could happen. And it's how, how, you, how you adapt to them that will make or break the race. Back to your question, is there a distance you're getting ready for? <laughs> um, I guess, uh, like, for, for myself, I've noticed uh, going from one marathon to another, like, I changed my nutrition a lot and it helped me tremendously. And so now I'm thinking of going from a, a marathon to ultras. And so what would you do to prepare yourself for that? Um, I'll jump in here. My nutrition from road marathons, that what you were, what you were yeah. doing? Um, compared to on trails, even at the marathon distance, but especially at the ultra distance, was totally different. Like I could make it through a marathon with I don't even know. I think I ate like half a banana a couple times and a little bit of water, and I was I truly was fine. So I don't know what you're starting with, um, but when it comes to ultras, actual nutrition during, I'm eating food. Like I will eat a sandwich and I'll eat a banana and Coca-Cola, flat Coca-Cola is incredible, you know, 40, 50 miles in. Um, so think of it more as you're going to need it on ultras. You're going to be out, and the terrain is going to take a lot out of you, way more than on roads would, even though you're not moving as fast. So you, you need to eat. Like you can't mess around with that. And I, I make sure, like an hour, even in a long race, an hour in, I'm not hungry, but I need something. So I'm going to have half a banana or I'm going to have a gel or something like that and make sure that every hour I'm getting something like that. Electrolytes as well. I take... Even on long, long runs, I will make sure that I'm taking pills. I don't, I don't really like um, gels a whole lot, but like electrolyte pills or uh, Gatorade, like any of that stuff. Whatever. What do you guys take? Like noon Tail and noon. Tailwind. Yeah, tail I don't. I don't. <laughs> but you can you can get the same thing with, with electrolyte pills. You just swallow it instead and uh, wash it down with water. But I'm sure everyone else has much more advice. I think but. going from the marathon to the ultra, which probably means you're going from five hours to more than five hours. And everything more up to five hours, they say, just replenish your carbohydrates, you're good. After five hours, you really need to add protein. 
and where that protein is going to come from, this is for you to, you know, to figure. There's some, again, mixes, like I, uh, uh, Chrissy recommended, and I tried an endurance uh, recovery drink that she has. And again, you can mix it up with water, and that works. Sometimes it could be as simple as PB&J, but again, test yourself, because, you know, for what I know of my body, if, I, if I'm racing, really running ultra, and I try to eat a hamburger, I will not be able to move for the next hour. It happened. I didn't do it in the in the racing races, but I did it in the raw gains. After you know, I couldn't think for two hours straight after eating burger, and I was still moving. But it's just with your body figuring out where your energy goes, and you know, digestion takes precedence sometimes over your performance. So again, trust, uh, test the different things, and test it in your environment. Like you know, don't just eat eat, eat something. Try to run whatever pace you think about, and try to eat it as you go. So. so, what does the nutritionist think about all this? <laughs> um, I think, actually, well, just simply, because it's kind of a case-by-case -case basis, but I'll echo what Kendra said. You definitely, it seems most people switch to whole foods. Um, I guess in my, personally, I just, I don't really bother with gels. I think they're nasty, but we do sell them here at Medved. They're pretty good. <laughs> uh, but we did do we start... sell them? <laughs> I don't sell them, but more sells them. Um, we did just bring in one brand. It's called Huma, but because uh, it's chickpea uh, chia seeds based, um, that's kind of cool. But practicing is huge. Like figuring chia out chia yes. seeds, not chickpeas. Chickpeas. <laughs> that would be so cool. Um, that's hummus. That would be called. Well, not, mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, figuring out what foods work for you then. So, I mean, you'll see it a lot of standard races, PB&J or uh, potatoes. You'll see a lot of candies. The nutritionist would say avoid the, the candies. Um, but also figure out your electrolytes because the one thing that the gels will give you is usually they're giving you some level of electrolyte as well. Uh, so if you're foregoing the gels, definitely get your electrolytes uh, be, get savvy with your electrolytes. Um, so yeah, there's Tailwind, which does usually have a, a sugar in it. There's also Noon, which you can buy one with with sugar and ones without sugar. I go with the ones without sugar, so I'm getting just electrolyte. Um, I also watch out for my sodium, because you can buy additional salt tabs, but sometimes depending on the brand of electrolyte you buy, you're getting enough sodium. It really just comes down to practice. You'll have plenty of times where you totally screw up, and you're just, you go bonkers, you lose your mind, you feel terrible, and then you'll have other days where you nail it. So I guess the nutritionist would also say, keep a little record, keep a little journal of what you did and how you felt. So you can refer to that to two months from now and be like, oh, right, that one day I felt awesome. Let me go back and see what I actually did. Or like, oh, right, that one day I totally bonked. Let me go back and see what I did so I don't do it again. Um, I'll say, too, outside of the race, you had asked about sleeping and eating. Sleep a lot. Sleep as much as you can. Eat a lot. Eat as much as you can. Know that training for a 50K or 50 mile or 100K or 100 mile is a lot more taxing on your body than training for the road marathon. Although the race of the road marathon is, is pretty insane. Um, but you're going to need to eat a lot of food. And so don't be, don't be ashamed. Don't be shy. Eat a lot of food. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll make a plug for the whole foods. Eat whole foods. Eat real food. But um, also really crucial to eat after your runs. So maybe, maybe a lot of you are familiar with the whole, like, 
two-hour window after you come back from your big run. You, you could, I guess, stretch it out to four if you needed to, but it's really crucial for rebuilding the proteins, the, the mus your muscles basically, um, but any other aspect of your body that's been a little bit depleted from your big push, whatever your big run just was, make sure you eat within, within two hours um, of getting back just to like restore your body. Uh, and like eat a real meal, eat a full complete meal with you know, complex carbs, proteins, fats. Fats are crucial, eat a lot of healthy fats. We can also talk about fat, fat burning, but save that for another time. Oh, we got to do I've started to drink the Vega right after. I do it, like, within an hour because a lot of times I'm, like, in the woods or in the mountains or something and I don't have access to a full meal, and it's really helped my recovery time. It's, like, one thing I always remember to bring. Um, Sorry. Vega protein powder. Okay. I don't know if my nutrition friend agrees with no, that. She may have other opinions, but some type of, like, protein powder for me because I'm usually not... Like, I don't have access to a full meal, and I'm not a prepared person. So, like, some people will bring, like, food. You could also just bring food. Yeah, bring yeah, food, but are. you need to, like, make a meal and plan for that, and I don't do that. So I'll get to my meal, and in the interim, that's really helpful for me to refuel my protein. So what about the, the original Ultra Runner? And was there gel then? It was a <laughs> <laughs> Do you wear shoes? This is just so good. There you go. Um, I learned very early on the importance of electrolyte balance. I mean, there's just something beautiful about um, feeling the liquid move through your belly to where it belongs, you know. And I've seen, I've seen resurrection in the woods just by taking a couple of, of electrolyte tabs. Um, I'm a big proponent of eating real food. Yeah, real um, food. And, um, you know, not binging by any means, but uh, eating it. And I've also used gels, and I, I think they're nasty. I don't like them, but when push comes to shove, you know, I can open that pack and I can gag it down. Yeah, it's you know? 10 miles. And easy to carry, too. And it's easy to carry. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be, a, you know, a party or a picnic all the way around. Um, but... Um, yeah, and, it, and it's a learning process. We do learn, hopefully. We learn along the way, you know, what does work and what doesn't. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I remember when I first came upon the realization of how very important the electrolyte balance was because you're losing a lot of good yeah. stuff being out there that long. And, um, and sometimes it could be deadly. Really. Yeah. It could be deadly, yeah. yes, definitely. Yeah. And sometimes definitely. you practice and practice and practice, and then on race day... Everything yep. gets ruined, and you're, like, in the woods. Yeah, you, going might, to, you might hyper-process food for... Going to the bathroom, yeah. yeah, as you know. <laughs> and it I, really sucks. I've come into aid stations where my drop bag is missing, you know. So there is my goo. There is my supplies. But, you know, so you, you learn to adjust, and you make friends. <laughs> you make friends and <laughs> So, I might, if I, sorry, no, Chris. I was going to just say, so. uh, I, I would say eat early and eat often. Um, I, in my opinion, it's easier to dial back your nutrition than it is to catch up. And once you bonk, it's going to take forever to get back there. Um, and whether you're drinking electrolyte drink or water, you got to have fluids in you all the time to help process anything that you're eating. 
that's mm -hmm. that's about it for me because everyone's so different as far as whether they like goose or whole foods and what works and what doesn't work within those two realms you really just you got to play with all of it in your training and and keep a log or whatever and figure it all out and it's not good peeing brown <laughs> no if it looks like guinness you're going to Don't drink And I'm really bad at uh, remembering to eat or drink, so I just set up my Garmin to alert me every, you know, 40, 30 minutes to 45 minutes, and I know at this point I need to take this, this, and that. To any Chris, we've got another question back here. Oh, How about dear. the night before a race? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. How about before, the night before, or two days before? Then what are you guys doing? Whole Foods. Sweet potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, again, in my opinion, it's something to experiment with. Um, a lot of people do things differently. I mean, I've seen plenty of ultra runners uh, work on a paleo diet. Um, I don't promote that personally, but um, I guess personally, I like to go, I'm really into whole grains right now. I'll really go after like a good brown rice, a good quinoa. Um, just kind of, I'll, I will do a little bit of carb loading, but I also do a lot of fat loading. So I'm really into coconut oil. I'm really into avocados, I'm really into egg yolks and egg whites. Um, so I'll try and get almost like a 50-50 split of fats to carbohydrates <coughs> the night before. But again, like the two, kind of the day before or even two days before, but definitely the day before, you need to make sure you eat. Like it's not okay to like miss lunch that day or miss dinner that day. It's, it's not okay to like just eat trail mix because you have nothing else to eat. You need to make sure you get meals in, maybe even four meals that day. If, especially if you're going for 50K, 50 mile the next day, you're going to plow through that food real fast. So make sure you're eating for sure. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of what you're going to eat, I guess it's kind of to each his own, but uh, I threw out some of the foods I do. But experiment, experiment with what works, like have those foods the day before uh, your long training runs and then figure out if you've got diarrhea or constipation or upset stomach or whatever it's going to be. Or see if you just feel totally the bomb and you've run your best run ever. Um, again, if you're that type of person, make note of it so you can come back and repeat or, or avoid whatever didn't work well. So do, uh, we're, Mort's, uh, Mort's got the 8 o'clock time. Um, so we got about plenty of time. Yeah, yeah. So uh, same <laughs> is, um, do any of you have something that you've been itching to share and you're waiting for me to ask the right question? Um, I want to share a little story. <laughs> That's what I was hoping for. Did you write it? I did not write it. I oh. used I used this as a prelude to a story that I read, but I think it just describes, in some way, at least for me, what. What I learned on the trail, and it's, um, it's a story by uh, Clarissa Pincola Estes. I don't know if anybody knows the, the author. Running with the Wolves, yes. So it's um, a story about a group of cowboys who fall asleep after a hard day in the saddle. They've driven their cattle for weeks, finally reaching the summer grazing grounds. Exhausted, they fall into a deep slumber. The evening meal being taken together around their campfire. When they wake, they are surprised to find themselves tangled up in a ball. Um, legs and arms are knotted and twisted together upon one another in every which way. They don't know which appendix belongs to which of them. 
The cook, an old Indian man who took his meals separately and away from the cowboys, didn't fall asleep in this mass. He tells him not to despair. He takes up a large pine needle and he begins to, one by one, stab each foot and arm he finds with it. Ouch, cries one man. The cook says, there, that's your foot. Ouch, says another, that's your arm. On and on until they all knew what belonged to each of them. And by using their pain, the cook showed them themselves. And so it goes, as told by Clarissa Pantola Estes. And, you know, through the pain that I do experience on the trail, the challenge, you know, it has shown me in many ways who I am. And um, I think I really, um, I sense that in so many of the other runners that I know. So thanks for letting me share that. Thank you. You actually ran with wolves, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's one of your stories. Yeah. yeah. Did you pet one? No, did not pet a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> did a unicorn? Ran away was more like it. But, uh, Is there a unicorn out there? <laughs> that sort of leads me to a question. We're back on touching on the emotional side of it. We talked a lot about the sunny side, but there's the dark side that mm. does. It's a big component of this, too. I'm curious if each of you have had to handle um, the tough decision of a DNF in a race that mattered to you. I mean, sometimes it's easy to drop out of a race. It's, no, it's an easy decision, but if it's a race that matters, and we sometimes battle with that, but that does shape ourselves as well as you know, any stories there with um, handling that out while you're out there. Mine is kind of funny. It's not so gruesome. Well, that'd be gruesome. Just sometimes it's not so easy to make that decision. It'd be the smartest thing in the world. But I, I, I didn't DNF. So far, I've been very fortunate that so far I had no DNFs. Uh, but my favorite race is Muddy Sneaker. Thank <clears throat> you. That put together, and um, I think it was 2006. Um, and you know, as you as you probably know now, even more than ever, it's really hard to get into the race. There's a lottery system. It sold out. It was two hours this year. Online only. It's yeah, two hours. <laughs> So uh, I was actually telling the story yesterday to somebody. Um, so here I am running, and it was more than my second, I think, Muddy Sneaker. And um, after the first about a mile in, uh, there's a little creek, and everybody jumped to the creek. And it was kind of, I'm not that tall, so I figured I'll jump and probably land on my knee, get up and go. So that's what I did. I jumped, landed on my knee, and start running. I'm thinking, why my right knee is hurting? I'm thinking, oh, God, it's a trail race, supposed to hurt, just keep going. And as I keep running, I'm thinking, that hurts just too much. So in about a few minutes, I decided to check it out. And I see that I cut myself right under the kneecap, and there's already traces of blood to the left and to the right going into my sock. Really, really serious. And I realized about one inch deep cut, kind of, and then things are flip-flopping up, up and down there. And this blood is kind of keeping going down, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm just smiling. I just got into the race. I don't really want to quit. So what should I do? And I'm thinking, I'm going to ask for advice. So I sat to the side of the road as the other runners passed me and asked the other people, hey, guys, could you help me to assess my damage? <laughs> the first few people thought I was completely nuts and didn't even talk to me. And finally, it was an older gentleman that stopped by and said, oh, you will be fine. Just get to the aid station. we get some, you know, first aid, patch you up, and you'll be on your way. So that's what I did. I would come to every aid station and start yelling ahead of time, first aid kit, first aid kit. And of course, you know, for most of the people, they 
kind of know it is there, but who knows where? So it takes a while to find the first aid kit, find how to use it. And I wrap, you know, I wrap my, 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 my cut and keep going. And of course, the idea was, you know, I need to keep it dry and clean, right? But there is a reason why the race called muddy sneaker. It's completely counterproductive to try to do that. So I finished the race. I ended up getting nine stitches to the thing oh, after the yeah. race. One thing I was really upset about that, you know, because me and my daughter rushed straight to the hospital, that I didn't really get a chance to take a picture of me with full blood just to prove it myself, but I really did it. <laughs> but lucky, lucky us, you know, Mort organizes things really well. Two, about two weeks after the race, he sent an email saying, by the way, I was a professional photographer taking finished pictures. So for eight dollars, I got a proof of myself. Uh, yes, that crucial moment that happened that, you know, the decision that I made, it worked out for me. Dorian, did you have one? No, uh, thankfully, <laughs> I, thankfully I, I have not finished. I've, I've been injured before and not shown up um, to start the race, but... Um, I just cry through it. <laughs> yeah. I, I just come through on the other side. You know, you just need that release. If you get really low, you know, I'm, I cry. And then I just think I need more food. <laughs> and then it's much better. I've cried in a lot of trail races, too. Yeah. I think it it's happens. Like, yeah, no, I think I've cried in, like, every race. <laughs> I would have quit a 50-miler I ran in Washington around, not uh, by Mount Rainier, White, White River, if anyone knows it. Yeah. But, the last, um, it's not the last, yeah, yeah, the last six miles is this gorgeous, otherwise gorgeous track of trail where you're running like to the one side to your right maybe was just like the mountainside and to your left is the white river that flows off of Mount Rainier, I think. And it's just this gorgeous like Pacific North, Northwest, super big, tall trees, everything's covered in moss, just completely gorgeous. But it's the last six miles of the race. Uh, you can't go anywhere else. You, there's no aid station. There's nowhere else to go. You just literally have to go from, and it's about six miles. You just have to run from A to B because there's literally nowhere else to go. There's the river and there's the mountain. And so I literally cried and walked for six miles because I was so pissed <laughs> off. I really screwed up my nutrition that day. I had my period. I had taken like six Advils. I had pooped ten times. <laughs> It was horrendous, um, but I couldn't quit because there was nowhere to go, so I just made it back. And by the time I hit the road, I put a smile on my face and I ran the rest of the way, but I was so Putting pissed. a smile on your face works in so many wonderful ways, and kind of like fake it until you yeah, make it. It's, it's just forcing yourself to smile will carry you for a lot of things you didn't expect as well. I actually yeah. choose a lot of my races so I can't drop out because it's really like they're remote and they're in the middle of the woods and like I've seen people go to the aid stations and be like I need to drop out and they're like sucks keep moving <laughs> so I like that it like limits my ability to drop out so even if I really really want to chances are you can't get out unless you're really injured so you just keep moving forward so Scotty you had mentioned you attempted the 100 mile distance <coughs> a, a number of times few times, yeah. Uh, there was this race called Virgil Crest. Oh, where to go? Yeah. Oh, candlelight. Uh, yeah, so I have a huge love-hate relationship with that race, mostly love. 
uh, I think it was the year before I finished it. Uh, anyway, it in Virgil Crest fashion rained all day and all night, and you didn't rain at Virgil ever. No, no. Uh, I had wet feet all day, and my feet were essentially hamburger. At I think it was around. Daisy Hollow is like mile 70, I think I dropped out. But I mean, leading up to it, I I had been walking for hours and kicking every possible rock in the trail and my feet were just really beat up. Um, I had trekking poles and I would fall onto my trekking pole. I was just an absolute train wreck. Uh, one of my best friends was pacing me. He couldn't do anything for me. I wanted to strangle him. Uh, <laughs> I still love the guy to death. He's amazing. Uh, amazing that he could put up with me through that. It was the lowest I had ever been. It just nothing would go right. And uh, it just kind of got to a point where I was like, D you're not going to be able to run for a while if you keep going. And then where are you going to be happy then? And I was like, no, nah, I'm going to live to fight another day. I mean, to like mile 70 or something and pulled the plug and it was rough, but sometimes you gotta make those decisions for longevity's sake, I guess. <laughs> Chris, I have a question. Actually, when you mentioned it, so pros and cons to having a pacer for these longer distances. Mm. Uh, Pros are that it can be really great. Cons are that it can suck. <laughs> How's what, goes, that? what goes into your decision then? Uh, well, so uh, I had a pacer for that one time. He was one of my best friends. I thought it was going to be amazing. It didn't go well. It was what it was. Um, I then, the I think it was the next year, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to run with a pacer ever again. It, like, it's just, I'm going to do my own thing. It worked out great. I finished my first Virgil Crest Sands Pacer all by myself. I ran alone a good majority of the time. Um, this past year, I went back to having a pacer. Uh, I don't even really remember why. I guess it was more because I was really going for a time goal this time around and knew Whoa. that... Uh, my teammate Ryan Welts could get me there for sure. Um, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. We had a blast. We laughed like the entire time we were out there together. It still poured rain like crazy. <laughs> my feet got beat up. I didn't let it get to me, and it, it just turned out well. I mean, it's, it's another thing like nutrition. You kind of got to take people for a test ride maybe one pacer is going to work out better than another or maybe it depends on what kind of race it is i'm gonna look at john for a second because you've done so many of them pacer no pacer for the most part no pacer um i've had great experiences at tough races with a pacer um it's always been my opinion that you shouldn't your pacer shouldn't like you too much you know, and uh, I don't know, that comes out wrong. But, uh, no, it makes sense. But uh, no, um, but you know, but yet, 
you see certain things on trails and what works and doesn't work for people. I remember running in Massanutten Mountain Race one year and coming off of Short Mountain, which is a section that for us mid-packers, we hit about 1 o'clock in the morning. So it, you know, it gets kind of lonely and tough up there. And as I'm coming down the trail, there lies this guy in the middle of the trail with somebody standing over him, and he's kicking him. <laughs> and he's saying, get up, get up. And I'm thinking, you know, really, is this one of these hallucinations? Or... Is it Dan Lopato? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I couldn't quite figure out what was going on, you know, so I stopped just to make sure I wasn't watching it mugging in place. And, um, <laughs> in progress, rather. And... Um, I, I, I talked to the guy, he says, he's my brother, I'm his pacer. He needs to get up, and he kicks, and he kicks him again. Oh. So I, I, just, I had enough, so I'm, I'm going down the trail. And, and, you know, an hour later, these guys come blowing by me. I'm thinking, wow, how cool is that, you know? This guy is a real bastard, but look what he did. A few hours later, toward the end of the race, at the last aid station, I come in, and there's these two same guys, and the fellow who is being kicked now is laying on a table, a, a picnic table, on his belly, and his cruel brother, that real nasty guy, is kneeling before him, feeding him like a baby. One more bite. One more bite. Come on. Just take one more. And, you know, he got him up. He got him going. So, pacers, I don't know. I mean, you know, it can be a beautiful thing when you see it from a distance. Um, I've, the pa few pacers I've had have been very beneficial. So. I just Dan, wanna... Dan's still deciding for Massanutten. He didn't use a pacer last year, but he also didn't finish last year, so he's I want to add to that. I've never had a, a pacer for a really long distance, but um, both in the Boston Marathon, my brother jumped in and ran the last five miles with me, and then at 100K on this last fall, he did the same thing. And it wasn't necessarily that having him there for those five miles made me, it's not that I wouldn't have been able to run those five miles without him, but I knew that I could look forward to seeing him at that point. And that was, like, he drove all the way there so that he could run those last five miles with me. I was going to make it to that point. And then once I met him, I didn't have to worry about those five miles. We were going to get there together. So I'm kind of, uh, could echo the same, uh, the same idea. Uh, my last two, uh, my last year's 100K, this year's 100 mile, were all out of state. So it uh, was um, out of state races. And my oldest daughter went with me, and she was my crew. And she ran past of the race uh, with me, too, both times. And, you know, she's not a strong runner. She's done a few half marathons, road ones, but she's not a trail runner. But uh, just being able to share the experience with her, especially, you know, after she crewed for me, you know, three quarters of the race. And she was really stuck, you know, she really wanted to do something. And just being be able to share that with her. And especially for the last 100 miler, because it was a USATF race and you're not really allowed to have pacer, per se, in USATF. You're allowed to safety runner who could not be ahead of you. So she was behind me, and I want to make sure, you know, everything is good. So she was behind me all the time. But just, again, being able to share that, not necessarily made me faster, but made the experience just so much more enjoyable, so much more meaningful for me. following your rules. Okay. Um, 
I don't have many more questions, though. I have a short story I'd like John to share again, because John almost didn't make it to Hard Rock. You've got a hotel story just prior to it that is short, but... Um, I do? You <laughs> and Hillary, CD Hotel. Oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> it's short, but it's, I think it's pretty funny. Yeah, well, I, I guess so. <laughs> um, yeah, so the year that I uh, finished Hard Rock, um, Hard Rock was, my last Hard Rock was a DNF. And um, how I handled that was not well at first, but it got down to a matter of just being honesty. Uh, honest, I wasn't prepared for this race. You know. But the year before, you know, it was my first hard rock. I got to kiss the rock. And I went out, I think, four weeks early. And I went out with my friend Hillary for the first week, and we drove up to the Montana border. We did a, a 50K tune-up up in the Bridger Mountains. And... Um, it's right on the Wyoming-Montana border. We stopped and uh, got a hotel. And as we're in there, noticing that we're yawning and we're like <coughs> a little coughing, you know. It was a chilly, it was a chilly morning, a chilly evening. And um, couldn't quite figure out what was going on, you know. It's just We just didn't feel right. Here we were at the top of our, our game, and yet we're feeling like crap. And um, so... We happened to wander over and um, just start a conversation with the, the manager about, um, I don't know, a problem we were having in the bathroom. And he walks in and is like, holy shit, the place is full of gas. And so we were, you know, well on our way to being poisoned with carbon monoxide <laughs> at the height of our physical peak um, days before the hardest race in the country. And, um, well, we made it out of that one alive. <laughs> and I met you like the next day or two out yeah. there and sharing that story. Uh, last question, what's next? We'll end it with that. What's next with you guys? <coughs> Something must be planned. Um, okay. Uh, I'm running my Boston Marathon, and probably the last road marathon I'll ever run, because the more I train for it, the more I realize I really hate the roads. <laughs> <laughs> and but I'm looking forward to competing in the um, European Regaining Championships in August in Spain. It's Regain or Rogain? Rogain. Oh, okay. um, Ian probably doesn't know this, but when I lived in Seattle, it was around the time I first moved to Seattle, Ian first started hosting Cayuga Trails 50. And I was like, every, every, every year I told myself I'd go home, I'd visit home in the summer and run CT50. Obviously, I never did it. And so last year, I was home for the first time, and I was like, I'm going to run C250. And then I had a wedding to go to. And so this year, I'm going to run C250, and I'm so excited because it's been like six years in the making I've wanted to run it. I don't know when you actually started the race, but it's been a long time I've wanted to run it. So I have that, among other things, coming up. Uh, breakneck Point Trail Marathon in a few weeks. I have a Wild West 50 miler in May, and then uh, the Bryce Canyon 100 miler in June. Mm -hmm. I supposed to go? I think so. Oh. Yeah, I don't have anything planned. <laughs> <laughs> what you'll be doing, I am. I'm going to the Adirondacks in a couple weeks, and then the Gunks for some backpacking trips. Um, I, I am running Money Sneaker. I'm 
training for a longer race, but I haven't decided what it's going to be yet. So she'll call you the night before and you run Cayuga Trails. <laughs> it's a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not sold out. There's a random spot available. <laughs> so. Well, I'm hoping this is lighting a fire off my sorry old ass and um, get back on the trail. Um, I will be hopefully heading down to Front Royal in May to um, just hang out and watch what goes on with the Massanutten Mountain 100-mile race. I love looking in runner's eyes. And uh, that's it. I'm just glad to be able to share here today, and hopefully you know, that will be my inspiration to get back. Um, I'm gonna get married. Yay! <laughs> so I do not want to have anything really big planned. I'm running muddy sneaker too, but uh, nothing big planned. Last year was it was everything I had in me to be able to train for 100k and have a job and a house and maintain relationships. So I'm looking forward to just having it, just letting being able to do whatever my body is able to do. Um, I want to run Cranberry Lake, the 50 miles around Cranberry Lake, do some stuff in the Adirondacks, but. This has been a presentation of Running Inside Out Special Events. For more events, visit the website at runninginsideoutpodcast.com. Get out and run.